What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We are not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about purposefulness leading to growth, both individually and collectively. This is really the third installment of a series that I never intended to be a series, but evidently I struck a chord with the listeners and the readers, and this idea of being overlooked, uh, evidently everybody feels that way sometimes. It's not the fact that you want to do things for only recognition or, or do things for recognition's sake, but everybody wants to be appreciated. And then someone asks a question about, well, what if I've gone to the elders of the Lord's church where I'm a member and I keep telling them I want to be used, I want to be useful, what can I do? Put me to work, put me to work. And they keep saying, we'll get back with you. Well, then I wrote an article answering that question. And then that led to another inquiry from our members about uh, purposefulness leading to growth. Listen, everybody wants to feel, I can't remember exactly how I put it. Everybody wants to feel useful, utilized, and wanted. That is probably, if you can make somebody feel useful, utilized, and wanted, it doesn't matter what institution we are talking about, you have basically married that person. You have guaranteed that you have a relationship for that person for as long as y'all are on the face of the earth together. If you are married, make your spouse feel useful, utilized, and wanted, desired. And of course, we could have a whole entire podcast on what that looks like, but you will never have an issue in your marriage. In the church, church leaders, if you want to make sure that your congregation doesn't fall prey to the to the predations of inertia. Make sure that each member of the congregation feels useful, utilized, and wanted. Government, make sure each citizen feels useful, utilized, and wanted. It, it doesn't matter what institution we're speaking of. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a social club or a fraternity or sorority or the local church or a family unit. Useful, utilized, wanted. And the reason I'm using utilized is because really it's useful, used, wanted, but the word used, it seems to carry a negative connotation. So utilized is the idea. In other words, just put me to work. I'm a cog and a cog begs to be uh, contributing to the overall work of the machine. All right. Awesome. So uh, I would like to turn your attention to our sponsor, Lindsay Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com. She's in the lower third there. For more details, don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson today. And we are so thankful to have Lindsay as a sponsor on the show. Uh, LaBeth has been a sponsor on the show. Lindsay is a sponsor on the show. If you would like to uh, talk to us about being a sponsor and maybe sponsoring one episode or sponsoring a month or something like that, let us know. Um, we've, we've had positive results. and. We punch above our weight, man. You people that listen to us on a regular basis, y'all y'all interact with our sponsors, and that's pretty cool. All right, let me, Christianity Now Facebook group. There is a Christianity Now Facebook group. I'm having trouble getting it off the ground and figuring out exactly what to do with it, but I know it needs to be there, and it's a public group, so it's a little bit different than the We Talk Truth group of the past. It is going to be moderated some, but uh, most of, mostly it's going to be like the Wild West show. Anyway, hello, Connie Barden. It's good to see you. 
And uh, Diana Harden, greetings to you as well. So bottom left, Christianity Now Facebook group. Be sure and join. Subscribe to Christianity Now Substack. All of these articles that we talk about on our live streams, you can find them at Christianity Now Substack. It is absolutely free to subscribe. If you would like to test the waters to see if a $5 a month monetary subscription, a premium subscription would suit your needs and would be something you would find of value, you can you get one week. Uh, you can do a one-week free trial. Oh, that's good coffee. All right. Folks, the need for belonging and purpose, a biblical perspective on congregational growth. You know, the human yearning for a sense of belonging, usefulness, and feeling valued can be encapsulated in the term purposefulness. Folks, the key to happiness, the key to deep abiding joy is a purposeful life. This innate drive isn't just an individual concern. It carries collective importance, especially in the context of congregational growth. The Bible offers profound insights, folks, on the matter, illuminating how congregations can thrive by nurturing this core need. And I do believe it is a core need. Uh, my, old, my old dog, Maslow. Hey, Maslow. Maslow, wake up, buddy. Come here. He's not used to me bothering him. Come here. Come on. Come up. Yeah, there you go. Oh, what's up, buddy? Can y'all see Maslow? The reason I called Maslow Maslow is because of, of Abraham Maslow and his work pioneering this concept of the hierarchy of needs. Uh, I believe the, the hierarchy of needs is uh, food, shelter, water, that without those basic needs being met, a person cannot self-actualize. And so everybody needs him a dog like Maslow. Um, he is absolutely worthless as far as being useful to the house. Okay, you can get down, buddy. Um, he's not he's not useful to the house. He don't hunt. Uh, he he barks at stuff that uh, he tries to protect us from stuff that's not a that's not a um, that's not a threat. And I think that if a stranger come in, he would absolutely eat him up. I mean, he's half Catahoula, half Airedale Terrier. But what he is mostly, he is my pet. And I use him kind of as an emotional support animal. Um, and I, I can tell you more about that later. But my point is this. Your core needs, Abraham Maslow, that's what Maslow was named after. The hierarchy of needs. Being needed being useful, utilized, and wanted is a core need. So you would have food, shelter, water, and then right below that, in order to live a fulfilled, sustainably happy life, you would need to feel useful, utilized, and wanted. Folks, this is a very important topic today. Diana Harden says, hi, Maslow. All right. So. The Genesis of Purpose. How you like that? I, I, I played is a play on words. We're going to read or we're going to notice a scripture from Genesis, but Genesis means the beginning, the beginning of purpose, the Genesis of purpose, foundations of meaningful work. Listen to this. This concept of purposefulness finds its roots in the earliest chapters of the Bible, particularly in the account of Adam, the first man. According to Genesis 2.15, 2.15 and then 19 through 20, Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden with the responsibility to dress it and keep it and also to name the animals. These tasks were not arbitrary, but held significance serving the immediate environment and contributing to, the, to a larger order. In the military, when they want to punish you, you know, gone are the days whenever going through boot camp, you could lay your hands on a cadet, on a private or whatever, lay your hands on a, a kid going through boot camp. Now they kind of gotten a little softer, but it's no less effective in training them and breaking them down and then rebuilding them the way they want to build them. Now you can argue, well, I don't like the way they're rebuilding them. That's fine, but their methods are effective still. And one of the things they'll do is they will punish with with menial 
work, like meaningless work. For instance, um, whenever my dad was in the army, he told me that, uh, whenever you got through smoking a cigarette, you took the, the filter and you, uh, if you smoked filtered cigarettes, you know, back then a lot of people smoked filterless, but you took that filter and you rolled the cherry off of it, the fire, you stepped on the fire, but you put that cigarette butt in your shirt pocket. You did not throw the butt on the ground. You found a wastebasket or your shirt pocket. If you were caught throwing a cigarette butt on the ground, what they would make you do is they would make you dig like a six foot hole and you would have to bury that cigarette butt. And then once you bury it, they would inspect the hole and say, or well, the lack of the hole. And then they would say, okay, well, you've buried the cigarette, but now what I want you to do is you're going to dig it back up because I need to check to make sure you buried it right. I want it buried the butt end down. Folks, that's arbitrary work. That's nothing but think about sweeping the sweeping the water off the parking lot in the rain. The Navy on those big battleships, the, the aircraft carriers, if they want to punish those men during a rainstorm, they'll go out there and they say, okay, man, go out there and you've got to sweep all the water off the deck when the rain. God, God doesn't do that. God, when he assigned Adam a task, that task was not arbitrary. It is meaningful. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. None of the good works that we are commanded to do are arbitrary. They are all for our benefit. And think about stuff like, let's say the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not an arbitrary commandment. The collective memory of humanity is very short. If it were the case that it was not mandated to formally memorialize weekly or remember in a memorial, weekly, the death of Jesus Christ, do you think 2,000 years later that would have faded from our memory, or do you think it would still be in the forefront of our memory like it is today? I, I think it would have faded from memory. So remember, everything we do, and I think about the Karate Kid. The Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi had him uh, painting the fence and waxing the cars, wax on, wax off. And the Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio, I can't remember his character. Danny. Yeah. Whenever Danny hit his breaking point and kind of snapped at Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi said, okay, wax on, wax off. And he kicked him or punched him or whatever. And that movement that he did so much ended up being movements that you would use in, in form in fighting. So even, even if we think the things that our master, God Almighty, commands us to do, they're not arbitrary. They serve a purpose. And I've belabored this point way too long, but these tasks that Adam was assigned to do was not arbitrary. And God does not have us do arbitrary works. In fact, if, uh, well, arbitrary just means meaningless, actually. Let me, let me give you a definition of that. Look up arbitrary. Oh, come on, computer. It's just blank. Look up arbitrary. There we go. Based on random choice or personal whim rather than any reason or, or system. Some of the, uh, some of the uh, uh, synonyms are capricious, whimsical, random, erratic, unpredictable, inconsistent, wild, hit or miss, haphazard, casual. So the task, the work, with which we are tasked as Christians by God is never arbitrary. All right. In assigning Adam these responsibilities, God was not merely creating a caretaker for the garden. I mean, don't you think God could have taken care of the garden? God set up the cosmos. If you take men and women off the earth, science has got a pretty good algorithm for uh, predicting out into the future what the world would look like if men and if, if mankind suddenly vanished and it don't take very long for nature to take everything back. So yeah, in a sense, no, God didn't need Adam to take care of the garden, but he, it was needful 
in order for the garden to be uh, compatible with man. Hello, Ted Knight. Good morning. And Christy House, good to see you. So it was needful for the garden, and I'm, I'm struggling with my words here. It was needful for the garden to be compatible with man. I may need to come up with a better way of saying that. So go look at a piece of the Amazon jungle that's not seen man in several hundred years. It is not hospitable. It is not optimized for human living. But if you take a few men and put them in there, within a very short amount of time, they optimize it for human living. I think I need to come up with a succinct way to convey that. So God didn't need Adam to take care of the garden, in other words, in, in order for the garden to thrive. But what man needed, what Adam needed, was to take care of the garden and dress it so it would be optimal for human existence. I think that's what I'm trying to say. That's the beauty of going live on cogitation. Sometimes I don't have thoughts fully fleshed out in my mind. All right. So he was establishing, God was establishing the precedent that human life is intrinsically linked with meaningful labor. It was not arbitrary that God tasked Adam to take care of the garden and to name the animals. The task endowed Adam with a sense of agency, laying groundwork for mankind to participate in the ongoing work of stewardship and contribution. Thus, purpose is not abstract or it's not a modern concept, but it's a concept that has been around and has been a part and parcel of the human existence since its inception. From the very beginning, human existence was designed to be purposeful, fulfilling, and contributory, serving both immediate needs and the larger divine plan. This foundational idea of purpose embedded in the creation narrative continues to influence our understanding of meaningful work and community involvement today. And think about it, even, even when it comes to the institution of the, of, the, of the home, the husband and wife, the marriage, be fruitful and multiply, and then God blessed them. So be fruitful and multiply. That's a purpose. If, if, you, if you have a hard time finding your purpose, just set your life up where you can be fruitful and multiply. Some people today will tell you it is not virtuous to bring children into this terrible world. The world has never been anything other than terrible except before the first sin. And after the first sin, it was a fallen world. The, 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 the earth was affected by man's sin. Briars, brambles, all that was growing up. The labor, the, 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 the sustenance was earned uh, by the sweat of your brow and the strength of your back. The woman, uh, her desire was to be to her husband, and he would rule over her. So that, that's a copulative relationship. I mean, it's, again, the world has always been a bad place. But you still need to be fruitful and multiply. And if you don't have any children, I'm, saying there, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's anything bad about you, but if you have trouble finding your purpose and you're 16, 17, 18 years old, don't buy into this hogwash that you need to wait till you're 30 to think about settling down, especially for women. Young women, if you wait until you're 25 to think about finding a spouse, you're too late. And in most cultures throughout our history, you're considered an old maid. You're past your prime childbearing years, especially when you get up into your 30s. So think about it. Just, I don't want to make the podcast about that. All right. Uh, the body of Christ, interdependent and inter interdependence and mutual respect. So Paul's metaphor of the church as the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 27 emphasizes the interconnectedness and mutual reliance of all its members. Each person, much like different body parts, has a unique role and function. These roles are not isolated. They interact with and support other roles, creating a cohesive function. 
a, co- a, a cohesive functioning whole. So Paul takes this analogy further by cautioning against a hierarchical thinking within the church body. The eye, it might be crucial for vision, but you know it cannot perform the role of the hand which carries out task. Similarly, the head, although it's essential for decision-making, it relies on the feet for movement. Such interdependence nullifies any notion that one part can exist autonomously or that any role is dispensable. Think about your pinky toe. Now, I know people that have lost their pinky toe. Folks, they had to relearn how to walk. Like your pinky toe, you don't think about it. I very rarely think about my pinky toe. I mean, it's kind of weird. I'm thinking about my pinky toe a lot right now. But with unless unless I'm using it as an illustration, I don't ever think about my pinky toe. But if I lost my pinky toe, I'd have to learn how to walk again. So remember, you might not be the head. You might not be the hand. You might be the lowly, lowly pinky toe. But if you perform your duties, not as unto man, but as unto God, and you seek validation and approval from God, then you will be useful, utilized, and desired. And I know what you're thinking. Well, Tony, that seems like a silly, no, it's not silly. As as comely, no, as homely as your pinky toe is, what do you do to protect it? How far would you go to protect it? If I offered you $10, would you let me chop it off? If I offered you $20,000, would you let me chop it off? I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what amount of money you could give me that would cause me to part from my pinky toe. I love my pinky toe. It's useful. It's utilized and it's desired. Even the pinky toe, how much more so in the body of Christ, you as an individual with a soul who's made in the image of God, are you not much more precious, precious in the eyes of God? All right. The Bible's focus on the collective identity of the church aims to eliminate division and it fosters unity. It recognizes that the individual roles not only serve personal purpose, but also contribute to the collective mission of the congregation. By highlighting the indispensability of each part, Paul reaffirms to everyone, irrespective of their role, contributes meaningly, meaningfully to the broader purpose of the church community. I have broken both my little toes twice. I can tell you they are important. Connie Barden, my mama, I barely remember this. I was very young. But all I remember is the hooping and the hollering <laughs> like that woman. Um, forgive me for being uh, 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 so cavalier or I don't know the right word, but you'd have thunk she caught the Holy Ghost. You got me. By the time I got in there, my dad had her sitting on the bed. And he was holding her and she was weeping, Connie. It was dark and she was going from the, from, so we had this two room utility room. It's an old farmhouse, the kind that, that have the, that, that, that you can open up and it kind of, you can go all the way around the house, one room, one room to the other. There wasn't a room that only had one entrance and exit that had two. Well, she was, she was going to the back utility room through the bathroom. So she'd cut left through the bathroom. Then she was going to cut right to go through that one room into the utility room. And she snagged her pinky toe on my daddy's toolbox and Connie, her pinky toe, which is supposed to go like this. It bent this way and it was touching the side of her foot. We had to take her to the emergency room. Well, I say we, I was, I was a baby. My daddy took her to the emergency room and they had to set that thing. Connie says, I didn't holler, but it hurt. I guarantee it. You know, well, sometimes it hurts so bad that you don't holler. All right, so the idea, the pinky toe is important, folks. And I'm going to reread this sentence because I think I read it with terrible inflection. By highlighting the indispensability of each part, 
Paul reaffirms that everyone, irrespective of their role, contributes meaningfully to the broader purpose of the church community. So if you're a head, a hand, an eyeball, or a nose, you're not any more important to the whole as a pinky toe. All right. Service and ministry, a roadmap to purposefulness. Paul outlines roles such as teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and acts of mercy in his letters to Romans and Corinthians. Romans 12, 4 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. These roles show that everyone has something unique to contribute to the church. Each role is vital for a healthy, growing congregation. Some contribute through teaching, others lead, and some focus on acts of mercy. I'm going to stop here and I'm going to tell you about Mary Catherine McKinnis. Mary Catherine McKinnis is a large part of the reason why I am a Christian today and doing what I do. Now, you might ask, well, Tony, what profound and important thing did Mary Catherine McKinnis do to you or for you? Nothing. Nothing. Not, not to me specifically. She grew up, she obeyed the gospel, she got married to a husband to whom she remained faithful through thick and thin. She reared godly children who grew up, uh, some of them to be elders in the Lord's church. Um, and she had her seat at Mount Zion Church of Christ. And if the sun rose in the east and it was a Sunday, you knew Mary Catherine McKinnis was going to be there or you would know the reason why. And that always stuck with me. And for some reason, it was a, it was a tether. It was a tether to that old country church in which I was reared that as far, I, I could only get so far away from God that it's like that tether would, would, would tighten and it would keep me from going too far. My brethren, never underestimate the power of your faithfulness and the effect it has on other people. And I, you know what? I, I don't know. She's got a son that's an elder at the Martin Church of Christ. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I don't know if it would be love bombing or flattery or anything like that, but I'd really like to tell him this. But I don't know how it would be taken. I, I'm I'm kind of awkward sometimes in social settings. But that man's mama was so important to me, and I don't think she ever, never knew it. But I kind of picture her like Mary in her alabaster box. Jesus said, everywhere the gospel is preached, this, I'm getting emotional. Everywhere the gospel is preached, this will be a memorial to her. And I make sure that everywhere I go, they know the name Mary Catherine McKinnis. All right. Recognizing your role enables focused, meaningful community involvement. Whether you're teaching, leading, or helping the needy, or just faithfully showing up, Pardon me for being a little bit crude, but whether you're just faithfully showing up through hell or high water, come hell or high water, you're going to be there and you're going to be faithful and you're not going to leave God. Well, your role, it contributes to both physical purpose or personal purpose and congregational growth. In essence, the church thrives not on extraordinary skills, but on the everyday contributions of its members. By serving in one's role, each person strengthens the congregation, emphasizing the importance of every role in building a sense of purpose. I cannot stress that enough. Um, Keith Mosier, and I haven't, I actually, I actually uh, got one of my friends to, to take a picture of his works cited in his manuscript at the, at the Memphis school of preaching lectureships, he had, he preached a sermon in which he defined the word hypocrisy. And he, in his scholarly way, did an etymological study, not on the English word hypocrisy, 
but the Greek word from which that English word is translated, and we use the word as somebody who's playing a role, but it began, according to Brother Mosier, as somebody who's playing a role and they misunderstand their role. They don't stay within the confines of their role. They're misreading their part. I'm going to read this little segment again. By serving in one's role, each person strengthens the congregation, emphasizing the importance of every role in building a sense of purpose. Did you know that not everybody can be the gospel preacher? Not everybody can be the song leader. Not everybody can be an elder. Not everybody can be an elder's wife. Not everybody can be a deacon. Not everybody can be a person that gets up and presides or waits on, over the Lord's table or lead a prayer. But if you if you take a Proverbs 27, 1 through 8 approach to being useful, utilized, and desired, then you're going to fit nicely in your role and you're not going to buck up against the confines of your role and you're going to be much more beneficial. You're going to be much more useful, utilized, and wanted in the local congregation. All right. The parable of the talents, a lesson in accountability and maximizing potential. The parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30 serves as a compelling illustration of the importance of resourcefulness and active participation in serving a larger purpose. In the story, the three servants receive different amounts of money. The expectation is clear. They are to invest and increase what has been entrusted to them. Those who do so are commended and rewarded while the servant who squanders his opportunity, notice he didn't squander the money, he squandered the opportunity. He buried his talent in the ground. He faced disapproval and loss. This parable provides profound insights into the concept of stewardship, both for individuals and communities. It suggests that merely possessing gifts, resources, or opportunities is insufficient. The real value lies in how these assets are used, cultivated, and multiplied. The servant who failed to invest his talent faced rebuke, not for lack of resources, but for his failure to employ what was available to him wisely. Folks, every individual is blessed and has a particular set of skills figure out how to put them to use for the Lord. If you want, once your, once your basic needs are met, food, shelter, water, then being useful, utilized, and desired or wanted, how do you foment that? Do you, do you depend on other people to make you feel useful, utilized, and desired or wanted? Or do you take it upon yourself? You need to take it upon yourself and you make yourself useful, and because you've made yourself useful, you will be utilized, and then you will feel wanted. So the parable of the talents offers a, di a direct parallel to church life. Just like the servants in the story, members of a congregation are endowed with different skills, resources, and capacities. These are not merely for personal benefit, but are intended for the betterment and growth of the church community. Failing to recognize or act on these endowments have repercussions. It not only limits individual fulfillment, but also hampers the collective growth and effectiveness of the church body. And I've got an illustration for this. A man who desires the office of a bishop desires a good work. The word for desire has been changed over the course of centuries. Here's the way it's taught in modernity. Hey, Mr. Bob, Brother Bob, you're a pillar of the community. You're the husband of one wife. You have your kids in subjection. You meet all of these criteria. We want you to be one of our shepherds. We have two shepherds, but we really need three. I mean, it's a 100-member congregation, and we need three shepherds. Do you desire the work? Well, no, I, I don't desire it. 
So I'm just going to, I'm just not going to step up into that role. Folks, that is not, 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 not how that word is used in scripture. The word in scripture is origami. It's origami. We get the word origami. The Japanese word origami has to come from origami. And the idea is a man who sees the office of a bishop and stretches forth his hand to take hold of it and changes his life accordingly and molds himself into the the epitome of this position, desires a good work, does it to a good work. Folks, desire, want, is not the first prerequisite to be an elder. You have to groom yourself to be an elder. You have to be groomed to be an elder. So the idea with being useful, utilized, and desired, if you have the capacity to be an elder and you are not an elder in the Lord's church because you just, quote, unquote, don't want to do it, then you need to get up off your behind of do nothing, quit leaning back on your elbows or do less, and take and quit propping your feet of apathy up on that chair in front of you and stand up and do the Lord's work that you're called to do. And when I say called to do, I don't mean like you had the Holy Spirit divine call, but I mean you've got a proclivity, you've got a talent, you're qualified. Folks, get it done. Get it done. All right. The parable of the talent serves as a cautionary tale against complacency and a motivational lesson on the importance of active, thoughtful stewardship. If you are described as what I've described when it comes to the eldership and you just are not an elder in the Lord's church because you don't want it, you're the one-talent man, folks. It underlines the principle that purpose and growth are inextricably, inextricably tied to how well individuals and communities manage and utilize their given talents and resources. Do you want to be useful, utilized, and desired and wanted? You, you got to be a good steward of what you're given. Play to your strengths. Love as a unifying force. It's the ultimate enabler of purpose. Check this. All right. While individual roles and the responsibilities of stewardship of gifts are crucial elements in the pursuit of purpose, it is love that elevates and unifies these disparate efforts into a cohesive whole. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul highlights the transformative power of love, stating, Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Colossians 3.14 The phrase bond of perfectness captures the essence of love as a force that not only binds but also refines and elevates community endeavors. It's not just a sentimental emotion, but a practice, active, a practical, active principle. Love motivates members to serve selflessly, to teach diligently, and to lead wisely. It encourages mutual respect and minimizes divisive behavior, thereby fostering a more cooperative and effective community. In a congregation, love manifests through acts of service, encouragement, and kindness. These acts, small or large, contribute to an environment where members feel valued and engaged, further solidifying their commitment to the church's collective goals. Remember, useful, utilized, wanted. By acting as the ultimate enabler, love enriches individual, indivi uh, love enriches individual sense of purpose, making it more profound and impactful. So, while individual members may find purpose through teaching, leading, or acts of service, it's love that amplifies the effectiveness of these roles and harmonizes them into a collective effort. Love serves as the bedrock upon which individual purposes become mutually reinforced, creating a community that is not just functional, but deeply meaningful. Folks, the biblical framework provides a compelling roadmap 
for congregations and incidentally individuals to grow. How? By fostering a sense of purposefulness, recognizing individual gifts, providing opportunities for their expression, and binding these together with love creates a robust ecosystem where people feel useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted. This sense of belonging is not just beneficial, but essential for both individual fulfillment and congregational growth. We talked about for 41 minutes growth, congregational growth, and we never once mentioned going and knocking on a door, having a Bible study or anything like that. Folks, if you are part, if the congregation where you serve is a spiritually or religiously codependent congregation, then you cannot grow. You are going to be capped. If you take care of this, if you if you cultivate a culture of useful, utilized, and ultimately being wanted, then numerical growth will take care of itself. So often people would focus, well, what kind of program can we do to get people in the door and this, that, and the other? Y'all, that's, that's, that's the way Walmart thinks about getting customers. Spiritual growth first. Congregational actualization first. Then you focus on getting numbers in the door. And I don't talk a lot about my work up here in the local congregation, but for the last two years, this is what we've been working on. We've been working on cultivating a healthy atmosphere and environment, cultivating a culture of being useful, utilized, and wanted, and a culture of, of not codependency. I wonder what the opposite of codependency is. Shouldn't be dependency because I guess I could say interdependency, but we want to, we, we don't want to be religiously or spiritually codependent. We want to be autonomous, individualistic in certain ways. But the understanding is that we're all together in one place for a common goal, for a common purpose, bound together by our love for God and each other. And incidentally, the Riverview Church of Christ is in that place now. And I dare say that um, once that dam breaks and we start having people come, we've, we've, had, we've had some people come um, for two weeks in a row now. You know, Wednesday nights too, by the way. And they said, we just wanted to come check this place out. We, th there's buzz in the city. So now. Boom. Anyway, that's all I've got. I I hope now this article isn't released on Substack yet. It'll be released tomorrow. But I just hope that I've said something that's motivated you to take ownership of the cog that represents you that's in the larger machine of the cosmos. And you make sure that you are useful, utilized. And if you'll do that, you will ultimately be desired or wanted and you will live a purposeful life and you will experience personal growth and you will foment congregational growth. I've mentioned before that I've been homebound for nearly 11 years. I've asked the elders, uh, ministers and others, if I could help from home, I've even given specific tasks I can do from home. I was continually turned down, so I made my own miniseries from home. I may miniseries or ministry. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if that's a typo. I may have limitations, but I'm not worthless. I have much to offer, as we all. Never let anyone tell you you can't or they can't. Oh, hold on, just a second. Something jumped. Um. I have much to offer as we all do. Never let anyone tell you you can't or they can't use you. The This congregation and many others tend to allow the popular group to run much and the preacher and most elders are part of that group. They exclude those outside of their group. 
I've never strived to be in the popular group. It's a shame that a number of congregations are like this and many are being left out. My observation in a number of congregations, having moved 14 times in my life, is that this exclusion of others and not using their talents often leads to them leaving. Diana, I'm, I have witnessed similar things. I've also, as a gospel preacher, because I didn't cater to that quote-unquote in group, because I like the misfits, I have been ostracized myself. But that's okay. I feel like I'm in good company. And uh, I know that my Lord liked the misfits. I know that when he came to earth, he didn't go to the religious elite. He told them what they needed to hear, and they didn't like it. They ended up killing him. When I was living in the, uh, in the, oh, I can't talk. Hold on. Let me reset here. All right. When I was living in the Caribbean or the Caribbean, the preacher did a sermon called Grow or Else, and it stuck with me to this day. Growing spiritually is important. Absolutely. And, uh, well, Connie Barden, thank you so much. I have enjoyed and learned from your podcast. Keep up the good work. Connie, that's his, that, that, that's, it just, the, that, that's, that, that made my record skip, evidently. Hold on. That is praise in my, in my, by my conviction that doesn't get any higher. There's no better thing that, 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 than that you can tell me, but that you learn from the, from the podcast or the lessons. In fact, if you really, at the local level, if you really want to, Maybe you don't want to do it. But if you really want to give your preacher the big head, don't tell him he preached a good sermon. Don't tell him, oh, you did you did really well on your sermon today. It was really interesting. Anything like say, preacher, you wrinkled my brain. I learned something today. Now don't don't say that if it's not true. You know, be able to give a brief synopsis of what you learned. But say, I really appreciate your Bible lesson this class. You put, you put that in such a way I hadn't thought about before. Folks, that is so much more, a good preacher, a good Bible class teacher. To them, that's so much more important than, oh, you're really a talented speaker. Yeah, that's good. All right. Christy House, says, I, I concur. Well, thank you, Christy. All right. I think. Well, I appreciate that, Diana Harden. Uh, Tony, you've earned my respect for the stances you take for Christ. Well, thank you. It ain't always been easy, but but in a way, it's been very, very easy. You know what I mean? Like, that that's the beauty. Uh, Aaron Dotson and I talked about this, and we did it from a Jordan Peterson clip about uh, speaking the truth. Always act out the truth or speak the truth. You will be very formidable, and it's it's – you will always, first off, you won't ever suffer from decision fatigue because every decision you will ever make is already made. Well, every, not every, but 90% of decisions you will ever have to make is already made. If you vow before God to always speak the truth and always act in a way commensurate with truth. So, in, so even, even if the outcome is bad, in the moment, that is an outcome that is commensurate with the will of God because it's the outcome based on the truth, and all truth is God's truth. David Stafford said, I didn't get to watch all, but I enjoyed the lesson. It's a good reminder to tell people that each person matters in the body of Christ. Yes. And I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this means that I'm arrogant or not, but I rather impressed me with. <laughs> I rather impressed me with the uh, uh, useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted. Like, I, I feel like that's going to stick in my brain. And as I order my ministry, my local ministry here in, in New Brunswick, I'm going to make sure that every member feels useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted. And like I said, it, whether it's a marriage, if you're having problems in your marriage, Work to make your spouse feel useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted. You'll never have an issue in your marriage again once you cause your spouse to feel that way. Um, in the Lord's church, if you're a part of the church leadership, 
Make sure the congregants feel useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted, and you will never have a church suffer from the predations of inertia, apathy, just people dying off, just shrinkage. And on the local level, as far as government's concerned, whether it's all down uh, county, city, state, or federal, make sure the citizens feel useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted, and you will have good citizens. And, and the, the way we know that is because look at how much of the Bible endeavors to make human beings, God's children, feel useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted. And that's all I've got. Folks, be sure and subscribe to Substack. Um, I feel so selfish sometimes because I take so much pleasure and godly pride in the positive feedback that you all give me. And I feel like I get way more out of this than y'all do. So I really appreciate it. It does not go unnoticed. Now, free subscription on Substack, and then check out all of these platforms we're on. But Substack is the one that I'm really excited about because I'm able to put out so much content. Aaron's been putting out content. And uh, yeah, that's, that's all I've got. Terry Crooks, thank you so much. All right. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations. Uh, remember, purposefulness leads to personal and communal growth. You have to feel useful, utilized, and ultimately wanted, and you can make sure that happens. Folks, God bless you. This has been Tony Birth Cogitations. Be sure and subscribe to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Think about supporting us monetarily. You can do that at Substack. Or you can do that at Patreon and buy me a coffee. The links will be in the show notes on YouTube. And uh, yeah, that's all I got here. God bless you. And we will catch you on the flip side.